Welcome to the Disability, a podcast where we have candid discussions about all things related to disability, short-term, long-term, financial claims, impact on other areas of life, causes in the workplace, and more. With your host, Attorney Angel Burgess. You can find this show at www.disabilityhelpline.com and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Now here's the host of The Disability, Angel Burgess. Hello and welcome everyone to The Disability. Today we have a very special guest with us, a special education attorney, Dana Freitas. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. We've got so many questions for you, so many things that we want to learn about special education law. So let's just dive right in. Okay. Um, first, if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, sure. So uh, my name is Dana Fridays. Uh, I live here in Georgia. I've got two crazy kids, boys, um, who are, I guess, no longer really, really children. I've got a 19-year-old and an almost 18-year-old. Okay. Um, but I have been a member of the Georgia Bar since 2003, um, been here since 1994, um, and yeah, this is home now. Wonderful. Well, one of the first questions that I want to ask, I think a lot of people want to know, what is special education law? Well, um, you know, I think people are more familiar with the term IEP. Okay. That means individualized education plan, and what that comes out of is special education law. So okay. um, there is a federal law, actually several, but for the main one that addresses uh, special education is the Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act, otherwise known as the IDEA, and that's the act that outlines uh, everything that schools are supposed to do and not do sometimes when dealing with um, children with disabilities and making sure that they are receiving a free and appropriate education in the public setting. So that is what special education law is. Um, it also interacts with a few other um, federal laws that you might have heard of. Section 504, not as well known as the ADA, but that's one that everyone is generally have heard of. Um, and um, occasionally, depending on some things that happens, we might even cross into Georgia torts and other things when uh, things have gone really bad in the school setting. So, but that's that's essentially what special education law is. And how did you get into special education law? What drew you to the area of practice? Um, well, I found myself here like many of the people who find themselves in um, sort of the disability related areas do is that it's personal. Um, I have a son uh, who will be 18 soon who um, was diagnosed with autism when he was 23 months old. So um, I think had you asked me before that time, I probably couldn't have told you what special education law was because it is just it's not something that's on anyone's radar generally until you have to deal with it. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the work with my son, um, I tell people, you know, our story is that my husband, who's also an attorney and has been practicing 15 years longer than I have, um, we went to my son's first IEP meeting back when he was 
not even quite three, but at three years old, the um, early intervention program that Georgia has, Babies Can't Wait, kids age out of that into the school system. So even though they're not kindergarten age, their um, special education needs become the um, responsibility of school systems. So you have a meeting and you talk about what they're going to do and you develop that IEP, right? The first one anyway. Uh, so my husband and I went to that meeting. He wasn't quite three. I guess it was a summer birthday. So um, it was like an hour and a half, two hours. Um, and we left the meeting. And Angela, I swear, we just sort of looked each, at each other and said, what just happened? Uh, <laughs> like, we're intelligent people, <laughs> you know. Um, but you don't know what you don't know. That's all right. You absolutely don't know what you don't know. Um, and while I felt like the folks there were well-meaning, um, based on some of the things they said, I just thought, you know what, I think I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And then at the time, I had been running, um, as many parents with kids with disability, running my kids' program, right? Getting him to therapy, finding the right person for speech, for OT, for all these different things. So I had been running his program um, for a while. And based on, you know, how he was um, developing, I felt like I could continue to do that. And then we would revisit the school thing later, (laughs) which we did. Um, But because I had that initial experience and, you know, very quickly understood that I didn't know what I was doing or what any of this stuff was, I hired an advocate to come to that meeting with me. Um, And they're on essentially um, throughout my son's uh, elementary school career. So I didn't actually start practicing in this area for a little while because frankly, he, his therapy and everything consumed so much of my time. We were fortunate enough that I was able to not have to work. And I know there are parents, many, and many are my clients in that position that they're not in that position. They've got to go to work but their kids still have these needs. Um, so when uh, he sort of kind of turned a corner in a way that, you know, let me think that I might actually be able to practice law, this just felt like a natural fit because I care about it. I know it. I live it. Um, you know, and it's as we get older, it's easier to do things that we're passionate about. Right. It's just, just sort of, you know, punching a clock um picking up a check so that's how I found my way here and again I find myself always when I, I when I meet therapists when I meet speech language people I mean it's more often than not they have some connection to the disability community whether it be a child or a sibling or just somebody um in their lives that you know opened their eyes to this other world that they decided they wanted to be a part of and try to you know a segment of population they wanted to try to serve absolutely well, that is wonderful. So you have been in the position of every client that you've served, uh, sounds like, in terms of having to navigate through that process. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's this is not a, a, a cut and dry area of law. It is very confusing, very difficult, um, not easy to navigate for anyone. Um, So, you know, uh, one of the things I often have to tell parents who have an enormous amount of guilt for not knowing what it is that they don't know that I'm now explaining to them um, is that 
the system is really not designed to set up for you to know it. Right. You know, um, so we've got to sort of shake that off and let's just go from what we are here. You know, one of my favorite sayings, and I stood on this a lot when my son was young, um, because there are days, particularly when you're dealing with autism and other disabilities as well, where you are really taking it day by day. <laughs> um, but there's a, a dash that start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. I like that. And so, I, I mean, I, many years later, I still, I, I find myself telling parents, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Can't change the path. Let's move forward with what we can do. Absolutely. So how does a family know? What are some indicators that, uh, I guess first I'll ask that their child may need an IEP or a 504 plan. And then I guess my second question is, from that point, how does a family know that they need you? That's a good question. Um, because I tend to represent families when things go badly. Okay. Right? When, when things are going fairly well, I normally don't hear from folks. It's the folks that things are when they go badly. Okay. Um, indications that things are going badly or the kid is not progressing. Mm -hmm. They're not making any progress. Um, they're still struggling or they're struggling even more. Their behavior is getting bad mm -hmm. um, because a lot of times when our kids are struggling and they are um, have communication deficits, then behavior becomes their form of communication. Right. You know, I've always said that communication, I mean, behavior is communication. What are you telling me by this behavior? Um, and sometimes it's I'm bored and I'm frustrated and I don't understand. So that's why I'm running away because I'm trying to get escape. Um, it could be many, many of those things, um, particularly kids on the spectrum who don't a lot of times have the language for that. Right. And not only do they have the language, but when those things occur, they're generally in a heightened state, right? Their, their sensory system, they're what we call um, dysregulated. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're dysregulated, when you don't feel comfortable, when it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too loud, it's even harder to access your words. So a lot of time behavior shows up there as well. Um, so that's one of the ways that you know. I mean, generally these days, you know, people, sometimes the school will tell you, particularly early on, if there may be something going on. Sometimes it's a pediatrician, family member. Um, parents get their kids evaluated. They get a diagnosis and they take that to the school. Okay. And the school can do something. But I need to tell you that there is something very important called child find out there. And that means the schools, public schools, all public schools in Georgia have an affirmative obligation to find kids who may need special education. So they're not okay to just sit and wait for a parent to ask for an evaluation. Okay. Given the circumstances under certain conditions, it can there can be clear signs that a child is struggling and in need of an evaluation and in those cases it is um they have a duty under the law to ask, say to the parent i think we need to do an evaluation mm -hmm. now the parent can always say no but by then they've met their duty you know 
They, at, they, at minimum, they have to ask. Okay. So we call those child find um, violations or their child find obligation. It actually applies to even kids who are in private school. So it's everyone in the community. Okay. You know, if you have a kid in private school and there's stuff, you know, something going on, you can absolutely ask for the public school district to do an evaluation of your child. No, it's not, um, you don't have to be enrolled in a public school for it to happen. You just need to contact the public school of whatever district. And usually that's counties here. Most of the districts are set up by counties. Although there are a few school systems that have districts within counties like Marietta City Schools, Atlanta Public Schools. Um, Atlanta obviously is in Fulton County, but they have their own school system. And then there's also a Fulton County school system. Um, I learned the other day that there's Beaufort City Schools, which I didn't even know about. Um, but they're in uh, Gwinnett County. Okay. They have their own little school system as well. So um, that's a resource that I, and I didn't know that until I had been practicing. I had no idea that that was the case. Um, a lot of referrals come from Babies Can't Wait, obviously. That's how we got in touch with the school system because we have been a part of that program. And you know, you get funneled to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another way kids enter special education, but yeah, that's, uh, it, it's a lot for sure. Wow. So with, you know, once a school has identified that, you know, a child, um, you know, needs an IEP or needs a 504 plan or needs, you know, some, something, some yeah. Um, as a parent, if you disagree with the services that the school is recommending or mm -hmm. if you think perhaps that your child needs more intensive services than the school is recommending um is there a recourse is there something that you can do as a parent yeah the idea well it's different under 504 and the idea so you mentioned a 504 plan and those are more about accommodations okay Okay, in a 504 plan, uh, or excuse me, an IEP is about accommodations, modifications, and specialized instruction. So it's, you can, and, and to be honest, kids who qualify for an IEP generally also qualify for a 504 plan. But you see people using one or the other, and I always, of course, use IEPs because that law has more teeth. Frankly, okay. if there's a violation, I'd rather it be under the IDEA than 504 um, because there's a lot more recourse. Okay, so there are two main ways or two main complaint avenues you have under the IDEA. One is you can file a complaint with the uh, Georgia Department of Education, and the other is to file um, a due process hearing request, which in, is our version of a lawsuit. Okay, so we don't go into superior court. Or we don't go, and I know you did Social Security, the administration, we don't, we don't do that. You know, we go before a Georgia administrative law judge. Okay. And it's the Office of um, State and Administrative, administrative Hearings, OSAH. Okay. Um, and we go before them. And while it resembles a lawsuit in many ways, in others, it's very different. Um, it's that the one of the purposes of the IDEA, particularly when it comes to litigation, was a recognition that listen, if when there is a dispute and kids are in needs of services, 
if we have to go through the regular court process, which, you know, can last for years, right. <laughs> and these kids are not going to get any immediate relief. So they developed a, a, I want to call it sort of a hybrid or a mini sort of litigation experience where the timelines are very short. Um, under the IDEA, you're actually supposed to um, have a decision <laughs> about your particular issue, you know, no lower than three months after you filed it, okay. which is, you know, under the superior, that never happens, right? Yes. Um, but some of the things that are different is that in a regular court case, um, there's depositions, there's discovery, which for people that don't know, don't know, that's, you know, when we ask the other side for information documents and um, they have to send it to us and then they ask us and we send it to them and then we compare them and in depositions, we sit down and essentially interview people under oath. Um, but we don't get to do 99% of that under georgia law other states actually have allowed some discovery but georgia is very limited we get notices to produce and that's it um what has to happen in and and i deal mostly with due process hearing complaints um versus state complaints okay um for the type of violations that my practice handles a state complaint generally isn't going to be the proper avenue for that because Georgia's Department of Education has been very reticent <laughs> to um, make any rulings on anything other than just procedural things. Okay. Um, so there are timelines. So for example, the school says you your child needs an evaluation, you agree, they give you what's called a, a consent to evaluate form, which you sign, which essentially gives them permission to do all this testing. Um, for the first introduction to this whole process, they have 60 days from the day that is signed to have that evaluation completed. Okay. And why by evaluation, I mean, it's supposed to be a comprehensive evaluation. Mm -hmm. So it may be a psychological evaluation. It may also be a speech and language evaluation. It may be an occupational therapy evaluation. All of those are sort of pieces of a big piece or a big uh, of a puzzle that we call the comprehensive evaluation. But they've got 60 days to get that done. Okay, so if that doesn't happen within 60 days, and that's happened, <laughs> um, that's a procedural violation. They are out of compliance with the law. And that is something that I could go to the Georgia Department of um, Education and say, they're out of compliance, tell them to get in compliance. And for something like that, they would likely say, you're out of compliance, get into compliance. Okay. Um, where it gets, where, the type of cases I deal with are, however, more than just procedural um, violations. We're looking at whether or not the evaluation was appropriate overall, whether or not it actually covered all the things that it needed to cover, okay. whether the initial IEP or IEP, whatever year it may be, um, was appropriate. Did it really address the child's needs? 
Did we identify the needs? Did we document the needs? And does it really address the needs? So there's two parts of an IEP um, that you could potentially have recourse for. One is the development of the IEP and whether or not it's appropriate. Okay. Two is the implementation of the IEP, whether or not it was implemented correctly. Okay, either one of those can be fertile ground for an issue. So um, I often find myself filing complaints with, um, you know, violations of both, <laughs> one or the other or both. <laughs> okay. So, but it can be just one issue, like going back to the parent that feels like, hey, these, these services or the accommodations or, or modifications for my child are insufficient then that right. can be the grounds. Um, it can be, it can be, but I will, um, and I wrote some notes on this because I know we're at 20 minutes and I, I gotta get this out because this is so important for people to understand. Special education, winning a special education case is going to turn on the data and documentation 98% of the time, okay? So that means that parents have to be really good minders of what's happening and also making sure to document what's happening. Okay. I tell people all the time, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. What that means when Mrs. Jones told you in carpool that Johnny has been having a really tough time for the last three weeks and they just don't know what to do with him and you know, they're just at their wits end and they sent him to the other class because he was just too much to handle. If she didn't put that in writing, it didn't happen. It's like it didn't happen. So you having that information that you think shows that he wasn't where he was supposed to be, you don't have because it's not documented. So that's my first thing. I tell you what's not documented, it didn't happen. How do I document it then? Stop talking to folks in carpool. <laughs> Email, text. Text is beautiful because believe me, schools have trained their teachers, the ones that districts have done it well, trained them to have conversations in carpool just for this reason. Mm. Do not send you an email. Or if you send them an email with a specific question, they will call you with an answer. Okay. Stop answering the phone. Ask them to provide their answer to your email because you're busy. You just don't have time to stop. You're a working parent. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons why you, you know, just, it's, you know, give me the information, move on. Um, text, I find, is a really good way because there is still some sort of um, belief that texting is not documented. <laughs> So people will text when they will not put in an email. Right. Which for my purposes is fine. I don't care. It's still documented as a date and a place and I can, you know, nail all that down. Um, and I do tell parents, if you do get caught in carpool, and believe me, I get it. I have had to go pick up my son for X reason. And obviously I'm not going to not speak to the person there. Um, but what you do is you come home and you write an email summarizing the conversation. Send it to that person, a contemporaneous record that says, hey, thanks for talking to me in carpool about Johnny's XYZ. 
I, you know, my understanding of what's going to happen from here is A, B, C, D. If I misunderstood, let me know. You've created a contemporaneous record of a conversation that otherwise would never be able to be documented. Right. Now, that's never as good as having the person actually write it themselves or um, say it out loud that it's recorded. That's the other thing. You can record your IEP meetings. Here in Georgia, you have absolute right to do that. Um, and I've heard many times from schools that have said, no, you don't, you know, or just outright lied, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And then when you hear things like that, your question should be, show me where the law that I can't. Right. Please refer, let me know what section of what are, are referring to that says I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if they say, well, you didn't give us enough time to know, let me tell you, these districts are ready to record their meetings. All day. I, I record every meeting I go to. It's not a thing anymore, particularly now that meetings are done via Zoom. They're pressing a button. <laughs> Everybody's ready to record. If not, they can be ready in the drop of a dime. If they tell you they can't, it needs to be rescheduled. Guess what? Call their bluff, reschedule. Mm-hmm. And then confirm it writing that they canceled because you were not allowed to record and they needed notice so you're giving them their notice and when can we get together so we can have our meeting where i can record excellent okay um there are apps out there i use apps now otter is an app that not only records but transcribes nice so i use otter i, I literally just turn it on at every meeting um the transcription isn't perfect but for what it is it's great you know, when I started, we certainly didn't have that at all. Um, and I live to tell you too, and I certainly understand the relationship part with the school and your school teachers. These are people who are educating your kids and there is a trust relationship there. I get that. I have it. I really, really do. And I also, you know, I'm the first one to tell everyone that being an educator is a hard gig right now. Well, yeah. it always has been, but it is really hard. And nobody signs up to be a teacher, particularly a special education teacher, if they don't want to do that type of work. Right. All right. Now, are there people who should probably find their way out? Yes, of course there are. But by and large, the people that are there want to do well. They just don't have the tools that they need or the freedom that they need to give your child more to, to basically make that program better okay um i call this sort of my toolbox you know the the, the type of um teacher i'm dealing or, or other provider speech whatever i call it my toolbox theory is that every therapist comes with their own toolbox right and in it are all these different strategies and ways to reach kids and if this happens and i'll try that this happens i'll try this and how good of a therapist or teacher there are is going to depend largely on how big that toolbox is mm-hmm. and their willingness to add new stuff to it. Yes. Okay. So um, if you've got a teacher with a smaller toolbox, but you know that if you do XYZ for Johnny, then, then he does that without any problem. And you share that because this is supposed to be a collaborative relationship. Okay. I will be the first one to tell you too that if your idea of special education is to send your kid to school and tell them to fix it, then you are part of the problem. 
this is a collaboration. They are not just disabled at school. <laughs> they are disabled at home and they have an entire life that you have to address, all right? So it has to be a collaboration. Um, and nobody knows your kid better than you do. Right. So you aren't just a small voice. You are a part of that team when the process works like it's supposed to be, like it's supposed to. Um, and your opinions should matter. Your opinions and basically, and not your, I should reframe that, not opinions, but the data that you bring, the information that you have, that's data, okay, that you bring to the table should be considered um, so if that teacher is willing to expand their dual blocks and say, oh, I didn't know that. I've never done that before. Let me try it. Then that teacher is going to be a better teacher for your Johnny, but also for every other kid that comes afterwards, because now she has a new tool that she didn't have before. That's right. That she could potentially use for someone else. Okay. So, um, that relationship is important, but at the same time, these are people with jobs who can often be afraid of losing their jobs. Right. And there may be things that happen that they will not tell you or things that they gloss over. Or, frankly, they think they're doing a wonderful job because that's all they know how to do. All right? Um, and you have to be willing to make it uncomfortable sometimes. Rock the boat. You know? Um do it in a way that, you know, I try to, particularly from my son's perspective, I like to start meetings with all of the stuff that's going right. How this relationship is great and how when that teacher did this, that was really positive. And because people, the teachers are human too, and they need some positive reinforcement, <laughs> some, you know, lifting up at times as well. Okay. Yes. Um, but I'm not afraid to call them out when it's not okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And then in the most diplomatic way possible. All right. And I know these are your kids and you know, people are, you know, I'll fight to the death for my kids. Unfortunately, particularly as African-American women, there is a stereotype that we have to deal with about the angry black woman. Oh. And you have to be very careful about how you approach people in IEP meetings because it can and will be used against you. Yeah. And so you know it can and will be used against you from other African-American people. <laughs> okay, so we're friends, but I'm here for my kid. <laughs> All right, and I have to be, and we can be friends. I can tell you what you're doing great. I can also tell you what's not working so well. Mm -hmm. And usually we're more receptive to what's not working so well if it's not like a hundred percent complaint fest. Right. You know, we're, we're like, okay, we did something right. Um, <laughs> my son is in 11th grade and I show up and we talk and I turn my record button on every single time. And yeah. it, again, it's not a thing, you know, and that doesn't impede our relationship. You can still talk. If anything, I feel like I can talk more openly because I'm not taking so many notes or I don't have to do that. Right. Um, so they have to know that they have to document everything. Um, and they have to record. <laughs> and again, the whole case is going to turn on what documentation we have. And there are other outside sources, but again, at the end of the day, whether or not a kid has been 
given fate of free and appropriate education is largely going to turn on um, the data, what the school did, what the school didn't do, to the extent that you can prove it. Okay. So, so for parents out there, um, I mean, you've you've shared a lot of gems. Um, just to kind of recap a couple of those, documentation is everything, right? Everything. Make everything. sure you're documenting. Um, record those IEP meetings. Yep. You know, establish a relationship where you're collaborating yes. with your child's teacher. I think that is so important and, yep. and undervalued. Um, yeah. you know, as a parent, your input, your, you know, things that work in your household can absolutely be valuable to your child's teacher. Then and vice versa. You know, I've heard of some things that my, my son could do at school that he was acting as if he could not do at home. <laughs> and that was a clue for me that I need to up my game here. I need to push him a little harder here, too, because he can do more. That that when it works well, it works both ways. Okay, right. that's both getting and sharing information to from each other. So it can be a decent process. I mean, it can. It's not perfect. It, the IDA has many flaws, believe me, I could go on and on all about lots of them. But um, when you're in a position to have that collaboration and um, to to get that give and take and get that honest feedback from a teacher, then take it. And also understand that nothing is ever 100% perfect. Okay, I tell my other little gym, I tell my clients is I can write a fabulous IEP and it's only as good as the people implementing it. So you have to be very cognizant of, are you emailing the teacher every day, five times a day? You know, um, you have, let's have, you know, exercise some judgment in maybe things that we can let go <laughs> that aren't at the top of the priority list. Um, you know, just be very mindful of that relationship. We'll never speak to the, uh, send anything that you wouldn't want to show up in court. I know you would probably said that. Yes. Don't write anything or put down anything or say anything that you wouldn't want to show up in court. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, well it, on social media, please. That's, get that's right. Social media. <laughs> get off Facebook. <laughs> So let me ask you one more question, and, and I appreciate your time. You know, you talked about your clients usually involve you in the process when things go wrong. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there is an ideal time um, to reach out to you before things go wrong. Because once things go wrong, then then maybe I don't have documentation. Maybe there are things that, you know, you know I to do it beforehand. Right. right. You know, and I try to do um, general presentations as much as my schedule allowed during years. I don't charge for any of it because really it makes my job easier when everybody has their documentation together. Um, I would say this, if you've got what you think is a decent, Relationship, well, it's a more relationship. Your kids seem to be progressing, okay? They seem to be getting better, keeping up with their peers, not falling further and further behind, then you're probably okay. If you see that some things aren't quite going the way you want, there are advocates in Georgia who charge a lot less money, less than I do, who can take a look at your file and tell you whether or not 
things are moving in the right direction and give you some tips. And I mean, like I said, I took that advocate with me for six years. Okay. So, okay. And her, her insight was invaluable. Um, so that would probably be where I would start if you're just not quite sure. Now there are times when, you know, there are things that are happening. Kids are, um, severely mistreated or assaulted and you know those things are a little more clear that things are really not going the way they need to and I don't think you need to talk to an advocate before you call me in those situations Um, or if you're dealing with any sort of severe behavior and it's getting worse and they're recommending they want to move your kid to a more restrictive environment um, I know we're at 36 minutes but we could talk for hours about the GNET situation in Georgia and the class action lawsuits that are going on right now. Um, GNS is a terrible place for 98% of the kids who are there, um, particularly in rural counties. When it, it's just, it doesn't even resemble education. Wow. So, um, you know, I've worked with families of getting kids out of GNS. I've worked with families to keep kids from getting in GNS. Um, so that's a definite time to reach out to an attorney and say, hey, they're trying to send them to this quote, quote, supposedly therapeutic program, which is going to be anything but therapeutic. I promise. Okay. Um, that's another good time to do it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, for sharing so many helpful gems um, that parents can use as they are just kind of navigating, um, you know, the special education world as particularly as it relates to education. Um, So we appreciate you being here. Um, Tell us the best way for our audience to reach you if they have questions or if they're in one of those situations. Or they need to reach me. So um, I am a solo practitioner, which means I do everything in my office. So the best way really to reach me is going to be through my website. There is, it's www.fridaslaw.com. You know, that's a little strange. So it's F-R-I-D-U-S-S law.com. And there is a contact form and that will um, send me an email. And truthfully, that is just the quickest way for me to engage people because then I can respond when I'm available. And then, you know, I try to set up consultations that way. Um, So that's probably, yeah, that's going to be the way. I mean, my phone number is there. You can call, but you're going to get to me quicker. if you send me the contact form. Perfect. Okay. Again, thank you so much for joining us. um, And thank you all for watching or listening uh, to this episode of The Disability. We will talk to you next time. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Disability with Angel Burgess. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing the show with others. You can catch prior episodes at www.disabilityhelpline.com and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more.